I was at the store yesterday, one, uh, walking through the aisles and things, and ha- have you noticed how they place things in a store? They, they place them in really obvious and conspicuous places so that as you're walking around, you go, ooh, I forgot I needed one of those. Or you walk by and you say, I never knew I needed one of those or three of those. And you, you have piled things into your cart because you walked in with no cart thinking you were coming for one or two things and then you realized you needed a cart so you went back and you got the cart so that you could put the things in there and you get to the checkout stand and go, ah, oh, well, a bag of M&M's. I mean, they are on sale. Two for one, two, two bags of M&M's and you put those in the cart as well. And, and I just notice that the world is set up for impulse buys, right? They, they, they just are, the, the whole store is set up to prey on your impulses and on mine. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. All, all of them. <laughs> you can, you can pick your store, but they, I mean, the internet is this way, right? You, you just log onto the internet and it doesn't matter what website there is. There is something on the side or in the middle or as you're scrolling or a pop-up or something that you look at it and go, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't think I would believe it. Because it says, you'll never believe it. And so, you click, right? And we, we call it clickbait because how often does the picture and the title have nothing to do with the actual thing that pops up after you click on it. But there it is. It's just waiting for you and your impulses. And I find myself going, okay, the whole everything, everywhere is set to prey on my impulses. How do I resist that? Right? How do I fight against all of the world preying on my impulses? Because somewhere out there, there is somebody or many somebodies who's going, you know what kinds of things Travis really likes? I'm going to use his impulses so that we can take his money from him. Now, they they didn't expressly put it quite that way, but it's pretty close, right? And so how am I going to fight against this world that is preying on my impulses? Um, That's what we're looking at this morning. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He he starts off in, in verse 12 saying, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, for some context here, we might back up into Romans chapter 8, verse 5, and see some of the things that he's been talking about, because there's actually been quite a bit at the beginning of Romans chapter 8 about this distinction between that which is flesh and that which is spirit. And so if you back up to Romans 8, 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Yet indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the setup. This struggle that we have in the flesh, but we are not in the flesh if we remain in the spirit of Christ, right? Anyone who, who, but anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we, we see now in verse 12, so then, brothers and sisters, so then, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You, you are not in debt to your flesh. It sounds a little bit strange when we say it that way, right? So let me give you a, a, an illustration. I, I have sold a couple of things on Craigslist, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of selling things on Craigslist, but it can be quite frustrating because you put it on Craigslist and say, I have this thing that I would like to sell for such and such a price. And then you get all of these email responses from people who are interested in buying your thing, but they um, can't come today, actually. They, they can come maybe in a week. That's when they would be able to borrow their brother's, sister's, mother's truck so that they can come and pick up the thing that you have. And so would you please hold it for them? Well, you are the first one to respond but I've only had it up for 30 minutes and somebody might respond after you but be able to come before you. And so, should I hold it for you or not? All right, I'm a really nice guy and you were the first to respond and so I will hold it for you. And then they show up, not actually a week later because that didn't work out after all. It was raining or something. And so two weeks later, you, we've been holding this thing. And then they show up and they don't want to pay exactly how much you've asked. Could, would you take a little bit less? And I find myself going, how far do I have to bend for you? And my wife talking in my ear saying, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe them anything. And suddenly we have language that we resonate and understand with, right? I don't owe them anything. I don't have to hold it for them. I don't have to give them the price that they want. I can give it to whoever I want for whatever I want. I don't owe them anything. And so when Paul says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, he's saying, you don't owe your flesh anything. Now that sounds weird. What do you mean I don't owe my flesh anything? You don't owe your flesh anything. What has your flesh ever done for you? You don't owe it anything. Now, this is different than things that we're uh, told at other times. People will tell us all the, all the time, oh, you owe it to yourself. You, you really deserve it. You owe it to yourself to, to buy that thing.
thing to give yourself that vacation. You owe it to yourself. No, you don't owe it to yourself. You are not indebted to your flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. But when we feel like we are indebted to the flesh, we what live according to the flesh. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. This is what happens with us. We, we feel like we are indebted to the flesh. We wouldn't put it quite that way. We just have these impulses that we want to satisfy that comes from our flesh. It just comes up and we find ourselves going, ooh, M&M's two for one. I would really like to do M&M's two for one. That sounds wonderful. It's these impulses that, that pop up. Sometimes it's a temptation like that, right? That seems kind of silly. Sometimes it's much less silly. Sometimes we're interacting with somebody who uh, doesn't respond to us like we might appreciate. For instance... Um, perhaps this person didn't show up from Craigslist and uh, then they did show up two weeks later and they offered us much less than what we had initially said. And so I might find the impulse within me being less than grateful and appreciative of them. I might find frustration rising up, anger rising up. I might want to give them a piece of my mind of what I think of them and their tardiness and their lack of funds. How, if we agreed on this price and I have held it for you for two weeks, would you not come with all the cash? (laughs) And my wife in my ear, you don't owe them anything. But am I going to give in to my impulses? To react in that way? Or am I not going to give in to my impulses to react in that way? It is the flesh within me that is rising up, whether triggered by somebody on Craigslist or by a thing that I see in the store or something that pops up when I am online or the way that I interact with you or with somebody that is my neighbor. Things rise up and impulses trigger within me all the time, and I find myself in this war with my flesh. Because how often do you find yourself the next day going, you know, I bought this thing on a whim yesterday, I'm really happy with that purchase. That was like the best decision I ever made. Nobody ever says, you know, he is so reactionary and wise. She is so impulsive and makes great decisions. Nobody says these things. But we still, it rises up within us and we react or, or fight against that reaction. It is this thing that we feel indebted to our flesh that, okay, this, my flesh really wants something and I think I should satisfy it. And what we find is that the more that we do that, the more that we react... And the more it builds up into this habit and this pattern and this way that we interact with the world around us and the people around us. And so what do we do with that? How do you handle that kind of a thing? When he says, we are not debtors to the flesh. 
We don't have to give in to those kinds of impulses, those kinds of temptations, those kinds of things that rise up within us. If we are not debtors to the flesh, then how do we respond differently? Notice the way that he puts this, right? The way that I just said it was, we are not debtors to the flesh. He doesn't say that. What he says is, we are debtors not to the flesh. The implication being that we are debtors to something or someone. We are debtors, just not to the flesh. I don't owe the person from Craigslist anything. Who do I owe something to? My wife. I do owe her something. We have a relationship. We have a bond. If I told her, I'm going to sell this thing, I'm finally going to get rid of it, we're going to get some money back out of it so that we can use that for something else, I owe something to her. I don't owe something to the guy on Craigslist. But who are we debtors to? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Who then are we debtors to? If you back up to Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Your flesh could not do it, so God did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God has done it through the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that now those of us who walk according to the spirit are set free. We don't owe the flesh anything. Nothing. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. This is Romans 8, verse 12 again. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 13 says... If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. This is not a happy prognosis. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. There are people... I'm sure in this room even who have been to the doctor and the doctor has has said to them, if you continue in this way of living, you will die. You will die. That is the prognosis. You must make changes and you must make changes now. Your life depends on it. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond to that? What he's saying here is, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you keep giving in to those impulses, you will die. I'm not talking about physical death. Everybody's going to die, right? If your doctor tells you, look, if you don't change the way you're going to live, you're going to die, and you respond, look, everybody's going to die, so... That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about death and destruction. You are headed the wrong way. If you are giving in to the impulses of the flesh, if you are living according to the flesh, 
you're headed the wrong way. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's the alternative for you. Instead of living by the impulses and leadings of the flesh, you live instead according to the Spirit. You can put to death the deeds of the body and live. Something's going to die. It can be the deeds of the flesh, or it can be you. It's life and death. Big time struggle. We're no longer talking about M&M impulses at the register, right? I'm out a dollar. We're talking about life and death kinds of struggles. If you continue to live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. And I find that when we get to this point, we get to this um, by the Spirit and we start going, hang on, we've been talking quite a bit about the Spirit. Who is this? Who is this? The spirit to whom we are indebted. The spirit that we are supposed to live according to. Who, who is this? You just bring him up and start talking about him and just assume? Well, when we start talking about who is the spirit, who is the, sometimes uh, titled the Holy Spirit, sometimes titled the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God or the spirit of life, who is this? This is, this is the, the third member of the Trinity. Yet we talk about him very little. We, we, we talk about Trinity very little because we start talking about it and we go, I'm confused already. Yeah, me too. Let, let's just not talk about that. You know, there's a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And there are some people, some churches that really, they really promote Holy Spirit. And we recognize there's all kinds of weirdo things that they do over there. And so what we're going to do is we're just not going to talk about the Holy Spirit at all, because that seems a lot safer. Then we won't get into all that weirdo stuff, which we know is wrong. We're just going to uh, talk about Jesus, because that's the right answer. We've been told, told that since the beginning of Sunday school. Jesus and God the Father. Everybody loves God the Father. Who doesn't like a good father? The Holy Spirit, there's some, we'll just not, right? So what I, I thought we should do is we should step back and say, okay, wait, no, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit uh, has always eternally existed with God the Father and God the Son. We believe that there is one God in three persons. Always in perfect unity, existing together, working together, glorifying one another since the beginning of ever. And we see them working together at the beginning of creation and, and the Holy Spirit um, functioning in God's people to anoint them with special gifts and abilities throughout the Old Testament as, as prophets, as priests, as kings. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them and enable them uh, to do the things of God for God's people. 
And so we see uh, back in the Old Testament, you have uh, Saul was anointed king and the Holy Spirit was on him. And then the Holy Spirit, when Saul started doing things that the Lord did not approve of, this Holy Spirit was removed from him and put on David instead. And then David had the Spirit. And David did a couple of things wrong. And David cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, I saw what happened to Saul. Do not take your spirit from me. I am repenting. And so we, we have the Holy Spirit who is interacting with God's people, enabling them or empowering them for specific types of service. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, when God is, is uh, talking to uh, the nation of Israel and He's saying, look, You've been doing all kinds of things wrong. So there's a day that's coming. And it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There is a time that is coming, he says in Ezekiel chapter 36, that the Holy Spirit will be given to everyone. This is described again, although the Spirit is, himself is not named in Jer- Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. There is this new covenant, we're told, in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah that is coming where the Holy Spirit will be given to help his people walk in the way that they should go and to understand and know who he is. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for the believers. In fact, in Jesus, and I don't have time to go through all of these scriptures. If you would like to talk with me about this later, I would love to go through all of these later when we have more time. But in in, uh, John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them, Look, I have been with you, I have taught you, I have showed you, and I'm going back to the Father. And they're like, whoa, no, hang on, that is not, we, we want you right here. What will we do if you're gone? And he goes, no, no, listen. It's better. It's better. It is much better for me to go because if I go, then the Helper will come to be with you. The Holy Spirit will come to be with you. And that's way better than having me here because the Holy Spirit will be with each one of you. And he begins to describe in in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of uh, the book of John what the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit will do for the believers. He he will uh, never leave them. He will be with them forever. 
He will will enable them uh, to interpret Jesus' words and understand them. He will testify to the world about who Jesus is. He will convict sinners of their offenses. He will reveal all of the truth that they need to them. The, The Holy Spirit will do these things in them. And so when we start seeing who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he, he did in the Old Testament and the, what was uh, predicted, prophesied that would come, and then Jesus saying, okay, this is about to happen now, just like the stuff that Ezekiel and Jeremiah were saying were going to happen, I'm telling you, it's happening right now. I'm going to leave and the Holy Spirit is c- going to come and this new covenant, this new time, this new way of relating to God with having the Holy Spirit right within you, that's a about to happen so that when you get to act we see that very thing happen and the holy spirit comes so that those who believe in jesus those who trust in him now have the holy spirit within them so that when we see this we start seeing um So then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the body. This is great news for us, by the way. Those of us who struggle with willpower, this is great news. This is not a losing battle that you are trying to fight on your own. This is something you have been empowered for by the Holy Spirit who is within you. The one, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you to help you combat your sin and fleshly impulses. This is great news. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This same sentiment, the same uh, thing is said in Galatians chapter 5. Where in verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the same, the same kind of warning. He now has a list to accompany it. But it's the same kind of warning. These are the kinds of things that lead us to death. And there are things on this list that we go, I'm not doing that one. And there are other things on this list that we go, ooh, that is, that's, that's tough. That's tough. 
And we find that in our flesh alone, we really struggle with these things. That when we try to fight against them, we feel like this is a losing battle. Because these impulses, these urges, these temptations are so strong within us. How can we possibly end this? And what does he say? If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. We do it by the Spirit. This is not something that you do on your own. There there is a struggle in it. There is work to be done in it. This is not the kind of thing where we step back and go, okay, Holy Spirit, you take it from here. But we do want to be wise and engaging in this, right? This is an active not doing, not a passive not doing. When we're not doing the deeds of the flesh, it's an active, we're fighting against it, and the Spirit is helping us to do that. He's empowering us to do it. You thought that the temptation was too great for you? The temptation is not too great for you. The Holy Spirit is empowering you, enabling you, so that you can fight against that and not do it. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom and helps us understand what is true about our sin and what is true about our impulses and the directions that we are going so that we can fight against it. He gives us a community of believers to help us so that when we bring these things to light, they don't have the same power over us anymore and we can help one another, right? But the Holy Spirit is the one who within us enables us, empowers us, strengthens us so that we can fight against these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, this is uh, uh, Galatians 5 still in verse uh, 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And when you read that first list of all of the sins and things that come from the flesh, and you read this second list that is the fruit of the Spirit, you can see how those two things just clash and war against one another. These things are not the same categories at all. The second are the the things that come by being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that comes from discipline, that comes from walking with the Lord, that comes from staying in the truth of the Word of God to us. So that we begin to uh, display the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that we did not have before and do not display unless the Holy Spirit is within us and empowering us. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We are now living according to the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. 
And when I say that in this context, having just read this passage, having looked at the Old Testament passages that preview and looking at Jesus who's telling us this is what the role of the Holy Spirit is, when I say we are led by the Holy Spirit to live according to the Holy Spirit, you all know exactly what that means. It means we are fighting against the fleshly desires that we have to sin and we are walking and producing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means to live according to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. But if I walked up to you, say, Wednesday or Thursday of this week, and I said, um, are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Your response would probably be something much more nebulous. Well, I don't know if I really feel like I'm being led by the Holy Spirit right now. Because when we talk about it in general, for some reason the way that we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit is this um, sort of impulse, uh, am I reading the, the things of God correctly, that, that God wants me to go this way, or do this thing, or read this book, or talk to those people, or live in this place, or have this job, or do this other thing, that, or not. And so when we think about being led by the Holy Spirit, those are the kinds of ideas and images that, that come up in our mind. Is Am I being led to do this or am I not being led to do this? And as though God is waiting for us um, and going, I really hope they pass this test. If they are really spiritual, then I will give them a hint and um, they will be able to figure out which way I want them to go. But that is not the way that being led by the Spirit or living according to the Spirit is being described in Romans chapter 8 at all. In fact, throughout the Scripture, the way that the being led by the Spirit and living according to the Spirit is described is this fighting against sin. And so we have a very clear sense of whether or not we are living according to the Spirit. We have a very clear sense of whether or not we are being led according to the Spirit. Is there sin in our life or are there fruits of the Spirit in our life? Are we being led or are we not? Suddenly it takes all of the mystery and the guesswork out of it. Because the Holy Spirit's job is not primarily to show us which direction we should head for our future, but is to, right now, enable us to fight against the temptations of the flesh that lead us into sin and ultimately to death, so that we can instead produce the fruit of the Spirit on our way to life. It is a categorical thing. We are, because we believe in Jesus, in the Spirit who is in us. It's a new category. It's a new way of being. It's a new way of living that is completely opposed to, against the flesh. That's not to say our bodies themselves are bad or things that we do in the body are bad. It's simply to say that those impulses and urges that rise up within us that make us want to do things are very often self-focused and not wise rather than the, um, those impulses coming up so that we would uh, honor and give glory to God in everything that we do. He is called the Holy Spirit because He is the Spirit of holiness. He is setting us apart as God's people. It is the primary mark of who we are that the Holy Spirit is within us, identifying us as God's people, and we walk then according to Him. So that it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God.
we are children of God. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us and are being led by Him into life. And so when we find ourselves, I started off by saying, you know, I, I find myself walking through the store, and boom, all these impulse things popping up. I, I browse the internet, and boom, all these impulse things popping up. How do I fight against those things? How do I fight against my reactionary nature? I walk according to the Spirit. I walk according to the Spirit, for the Spirit is within me and helping me to put to death those things. And so I just picture myself with a knife in my hand and the Holy Spirit helping me. Okay, God, what do we need to put to death today? There's some pride. We're going to stab that thing to death. There's some anger. Oh, that's sort of... I just realized how that illustration... Stabbed that anger to death. There is something that seems weird about that. And yet the Holy Spirit does help us to do that, right? Or whatever the, it is from this list in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Sexual immorality... Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. We need to put the jealousy to death. Or the enmity, the fits of anger, the rivalries or dissensions, divisions that we have. Do we need to put those to death? Envy. Drunkenness, orgies, things like these. All of these things, we need to put them to death and and by the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. When we identify them, name them and say, God, would you enable me, help me to put this thing to death? We can begin to move on. Because up until that point, it's just this reaction that pops up within us. But when we are deliberate to work through the truth of God to identify those things, the Holy Spirit helps us, empowers us, leads us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Don't don't be deceived. You did not receive a spirit of slavery that would somehow draw you back into being afraid of falling into these kinds of temptations and things. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have been brought away from the slavery to the sin and brought into the category of the children of God, filled with the Spirit of God, so that we can be identified as His people who love Him, and we cry out to Him, O God, our Father, I am Yours. And it leads us to life. Next week we are going to talk more about what it means to be God's children. And be living as that identity, as his people, in his family, 
But for today, the thing that I want you to, to think about and, and take with you is that when these impulses, these urges rise up within us that would lead us into sin, we fight against them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not afraid of those things, but we face them because Jesus has given us His Spirit that we might live according to Him. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we cry out to You. And we say, oh God, the urges are strong. They are frequent. We struggle with them every day. And Lord, we ask, would you fill us with your spirit that we might put to death the deeds of the flesh? That we might no longer feel obligated, indebted to our flesh, but instead might walk in the Spirit, live according to the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have from sin that has been purchased uh, for us by Jesus on the cross. And we rejoice in this new life that we have in him, according to his name. Amen.